Now, you may be wondering, who is this guy speaking and why is it not Maurice? Well, it's Maurice's birthday this week on uh, February the 9th. And um, his three sons, that's me, Milan, along with my two brothers, Noah and Matisse, decided as a present to grant him a free episode. So he doesn't need to do any recording for this week. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. There could come a point in this podcast where people think it's just one person speaking, but there's three distinct personalities with the same voice. It's sort of like a schizophrenia, but... crazy part of that is is that because I'm editing this after, they'll have no idea that I'm recording all three parts myself. (laughs) Yeah, well, on that note, welcome (laughs) to another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Now, you may be wondering, who is this guy speaking and why is it not Maurice? Well, it's Maurice's birthday this week on uh, February the 9th. And um, his three sons, that's me, Milan, along with my two brothers, Noah and Matisse, decided as a present to grant him a free episode. So he doesn't need to do any recording for this week. Um, we haven't planned this very far in advance, um, which is maybe unlike Maurice but we'll see how how we do and uh, hope you enjoy listening to this very unique episode um, in any case let's start with a little bit of introductions I think um, or like well Matisse do you want to go first as the youngest one and then uh, we can uh, move it on up in age yep sounds good um well i'm matisse uh son of maurice um as as you know um i'm 20 uh studying what you're 20 yeah (laughs) (laughs) um at amsterdam university college i'm studying liberal arts and sciences um majoring in humanities with a focus on film and media um, and I'm in my last year there, so. Very nice. All right, Noah, what about you? Um, hi, I'm, uh, I'm Noah, uh, also son of Maurice. Sounds kind of like I'm introducing myself in a fantasy setting. I am Noah, <laughs> son of Maurice. <laughs> Wielder of hammer and shield. Um, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm Noah. I... Uh, and the second son, uh, I currently work at Emerson College in administration there. Um, I am I'm also a writer, working on a number of uh, my own works. Um, it's what I studied. I got my Master's of Fine Arts in Creative Writing uh, from Emerson College as well. Um, so I've just stuck around. I currently live in Boston doing that. Cool. 
Well, that brings us to um, to me, uh, Milan. I'm the uh, eldest. I am turning 33 this year. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I studied at Amsterdam University College, like Matisse does. When uh, I did it some years prior, I studied public health and epidemiology there. Um, then I went to Indonesia for a while, worked there for a little bit, started a master's in Australia, and then eventually moved back here to finish and <laughs> to finish a master's in the Netherlands in uh, nutrition and health. Uh, since then, though, I sort of made a switch to IT. And I'm now working for uh, a company that makes heat pumps and solar panels uh, based out of Amsterdam, where I, um, yeah, do IT work for them. So that's the three of us. Um, we uh, obviously have quite similar upbringings, but also quite different ones, seeing as that Matisse especially is quite a bit younger. Um, but even between Noah and myself, we have a number of differences in that his high school years were spent in the States, whereas I went to the Netherlands after high school in Indonesia. So a question that Maurice usually asks his guests and one that I will ask to my two brothers and eventually answer myself is, how has uh, your upbringing influenced you in where you are and what you do? And Seeing as it's Maurice's birthday, we're going to focus on his influence specifically. That's, of course, uh, well, depending on who you ask, maybe not the biggest influence ever, but um, we're going to leave our mother's uh, influence outside for this uh, particular question for now. Um, so who would like to go first? Well, Matisse uh, is stepping on Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it's hard to, I mean, upbringing, right? I think there's a, a good reason. This is always the question that he starts with. It's, um, what our upbringing is, like, an, uh, where does the upbringing really end? It doesn't really. <laughs> so, you know, what, what we've experienced in our lives and, and defines who we are, I think. And the upbringing is such a large part of that, particularly when, uh, we're younger and it's a larger percentage of, of the life we spent. Um, but I think especially in, and I want to say our case, but uh, I will speak just from my perspective that um, in, in my case, moving around a bit and um, always growing up as an expat, there are some obvious, I think, consequences of that, of being like, I'm not really sure what a home is, um, not feeling, uh, necessarily rooted in any single location um which i think can be viewed negatively but i think overall has been a very positive um outcome for me but continuously influences my daily life i think of you know i don't I, i've lived in the u.s for how many years now i think like five or six since i moved back and four in high school, so like 10 in total, but 
Um, I don't think, even after all these years, I view anything as an American, um, which is, I, I think, among my American friends particularly, is, is an interesting like dynamic to have, and even among my Dutch friends of like not viewing things in a Dutch way, and, and my other international friends as well, probably most lines up in our in our views, but um, I think in just daily discussions we have, it's always uh, uh, an it's always there and always an influence. It's you actually know. pretty interesting that now uh, Maurice and Lisbeth finally bought a house after what thirty years abroad, um, which in a way settles them, but it's still at least to me doesn't feel completely permanent right like um yeah i uh, was out with a friend uh, like two days ago and um i was actually talking about that the fact that they had bought a house um but that it's still uh and and he asked me uh are they planning to settle down then and i was like probably not <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it, it does it does certainly add a an, a feeling of impermanence i think to wherever we are even having been like they moved to the u.s in 2009 so they've been here for 15 years now and it yeah. still feels like they could move at any point um so. well yeah i think certainly having a hobby of like going to open houses and stuff and just like seeing what's on the market probably doesn't help. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, Batiste, what about you? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think I kind of took away something different from, um, you know, moving around uh often i guess i probably moved around less than either of you did because i mean i spent uh pretty much most of my life since i was five in the u.s and then we moved towns but it wasn't really a big change um but kind of what i took from that is because they never really raised us as or never really raised me, I guess, as uh, American. They always kind of kept that um, Dutch or you know Indonesian kind of um, upbringing. Uh, or and so I always kind of felt like I wanted to go back to the Netherlands. Um, and I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but uh, I mean, I you know I'd never lived there um, and yet it still kind of felt like home. Um, but I don't know how you two feel about that. Did, would you want to continue living here? Like you're almost done with your studies now? Uh, I mean, I think um, for now, definitely, yes. I think, uh, like I said, it's kind of where I feel at home. Um, and I think also a reason that, you know, uh, our parents always kind of wanted to move was because they, to a certain extent, got tired of where they were. And I don't think I've been here long enough that I 
I'm tired yet of uh, Amsterdam or the Netherlands. I'm, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um, but yeah. 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 So as someone who, I mean, I also live in the Netherlands, um, but I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Of like, why did uh, more recently I choose to go abroad all those years besides just adventure or whatever it is. But I think, and uh, Maurice, especially every time that we're back or when he's back here and he, I ask him like, Hey, so are you happy to be back? And he's like, well, I love seeing family, but I'm always reminded of why I never want to live here. Then he's always a bit cryptic about, well, what is that reason exactly? And I think in the last couple of years, I've started to realize that a bit more because I think with things going on in the world, um, I mean, no country where you live is going to be perfect. I mean, I loved living in, in, in Indonesia, but even there, there are things that, you know, are not ideal. And, um, but somehow if it's not your own home country, it bothers you less. Like say, you know, when there's an election and uh, someone wins that you would rather not see in office, um, when it was happening in the States, we could be like, well, you know, I'm not American, so it's fine. Oh, or and even if you live there, move back after it happens. Yeah, but like something similar happened here in the Netherlands recently, and then, uh, well, I was just frustrated for a couple of days um, yeah. at my own people. And I think if you live abroad, then you can sort of distance yourself from that a little bit, right? Because you're never going to get that frustration because it's it's not your own country and. Um, so yeah, I definitely get it in that sense. Um, now that I'm talking anyway, <laughs> how has it influenced me? Well, I think arguably maybe I've moved around the most or at least. Uh, I think that's objectively true. Um, from memory, like, I mean, we were both in Bangladesh, obviously, Noah and I, um, we were very young, uh, but I've lived in Australia as well, and I've moved back to Indonesia after my bachelor's. Um, although I have been in the Netherlands now for, when did I come back? 2014. So coming up to 10 years, close to 10 years, which is the longest that I'll have ever been in one place. Um, because the first time in Indonesia was nine and a half, right? So they're almost equal now. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, Maurice's influence specifically, let's say just sort of, I mean, I studied sort of a very similar thing as what the field that he works in. And that was I mean, largely due to his upbringing, the, you know, hearing things at the dinner table, kind of wanting to yeah, make the world a better place in some way. Although maybe the way in which we do that isn't so black and white, I think. Um, yeah, I went, I started studying that because I thought, well, that's how Maurice does it. So that must be the right way to do things. And I think since then sort of expanded the horizons a little bit and being like, well, there are other ways that you can make a difference and different scales as well.
the next question, which uh, Maurice always asks is, if you were to walk 100 miles for some charity or, or some goal, what would you, what would that be? What would that cause be? Well, I'll actually answer this while answering, also going, going back a bit to the influence of, of Maurice, because I didn't address that that much just now. Um, I mean, there's the obvious, I think, sorry, uh, uh, influence of the fact that we moved around because of his um, job, uh, both mm-hmm. in Asia and later to, to New York. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of it, the influence on that he's had on my upbringing have to find me more as a person outside of my work. I, I, unlike you, you know, um, have not gone into, I mean, you're working in IT now, but your study lines up a lot more with, with what his work does than, than mine has. Um, but I do think that his influence in that sense also pushed me to what I ended up pursuing, which was, was writing and, um, studying that in his, I think, always encouraging. I think one thing that's always been clear is that, well, both of our parents um, have pushed us to do what, you know, makes us happy. Um, yeah. And and making the world a better place is, is obviously a, a nice thing to do as well um, alongside. And I think that's sort of been instilled in else in general um but I, I i do always feel like i've been pushed more to be like well you know make the most of of your life to be the happiest you can and do that while making the world a better place for others so they can do that as well um and i think that influence has always driven me it's uh and and some things i feel i just i was uh not more forced into than others, but, and I think ultimately it has been a good thing, but I think back to like really into our youth where um, we play, we, I think all three of us played a lot of football and, and me and Milan both had um, Maurice as a coach, particularly. That's um, uh, soccer to our American listeners. Um, has... You know, there were there were times, I think especially I remember a time when I was playing so much that it kind of like was was too much for me. Um, but I'm, I'm happy in the end because I've learned so much both about, you know, it becoming a sport that I love. And as much as I don't play that much these days, it's still something I watch a lot and has become a part of one of the passions I have um, and connects me to other people. And um has helped me, I think, gain a lot of insights into the importance of um, human connection, if it's like at its broadest. Um, but in yeah. a similar way, it drove me to pursue my passions and then go and do creative things. And, I, I and think write. that's an interesting, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And we talked about this a little bit at Christmas as well that, uh, you know, some people do their hobby as a job and some people keep their hobbies as hobbies um and bring them back to football like i'd say matisse and i probably played more than you did but you probably watch more than we do so it's also kind of interesting how 
that has developed over over the years because you're doing something for a job now that is well was is just your hobby whereas for me i try to keep those separate a bit more just to well yeah because i don't want to get to a place where it's no longer fun or interesting anymore um and I like my hobbies, so I'd like to <laughs> keep enjoying them. Um, but I guess we'll see uh, also what Matisse will end up doing. Which of those two yeah. routes he'll go down. I mean, I guess that's kind of why I'm currently struggling to figure out what I want to do after AUC. It's because, um, yeah, it, as Noah said, you know, Maurice always kind of said that or both our parents kind of uh, always tried to tell us that we should do what we love and, um, you know, stick with that. And uh, But at the same time, when I look at what, um, you know, he does, he has such an impact on the world or he tries to make an impact and also just on the people around him. And so I'm trying to kind of find a, a balance between that because, you know, I'm currently kind of, as I said, focusing mainly on film and media and I'm kind of finding it difficult to find something that can make, you know, a more wide scale impact within that field. And so I'm kind of, now almost debating whether uh that is what i want to pursue a career in or if that's really just more of i don't know a hobby or if i can kind of incorporate that with something else um and i think uh i've also now joined the kind of uh student association at amsterdam university college and uh, through that, it's a lot of work, um, but uh, I do very much enjoy that because I do feel as though I'm kind of making an impact on my community, even if that community is, you know, less than a thousand people, because that's how many students are at the school. Um, but, you know, then kind of those small impacts of improving people's lives in any kind of small way I can is something I think I've taken away from um our upbringing yeah i think that's a that's a good point matisse uh, i had it in my previous job as well like that was my first job in it and for a long time i struggled a bit with it um well like after i got over the excitement of like the first time but after a while when i sort of gotten settled into the job i was like well i'm working at an it for a bank which is so far removed from like all the sort of uh, real good I was doing before working at uh, NGOs in Indonesia, you know, like really going to the projects and seeing the people you're helping. And now sitting behind a computer somewhere being quite far away that in the end, I, yeah, like you did from the inside and making sort of a smaller impact, helping um, women who are working in IT there because um, there were, yeah, there's still a lot of sexism sort of pervasive in, in IT and um, 
ended up with me becoming a confidential counselor as well, like certified one position here in the Netherlands where, well, each company has basically. So if something happens that shouldn't um, at work that you can speak to someone confidentially about it. Um, but that's a very small scale thing in the sort of grand scheme of things. You know, you're not uh, working towards uh, curing a disease or solving world hunger or helping those who've suffered from natural disaster. And that's, yeah, that's something that I definitely had to come to terms with if moving, moving the scale of your helping or your impact to something more immediate. Um, the same thing I was thought with charities as well. Like, ah, this, this charity is only trying to help. I don't know. I'll give an example of like, elderly people who are lonely whereas there are you know people suffering from malaria and dying somewhere else you know like what's what's loneliness in comparison but i think everybody deserves to be helped and um yeah if you don't if you only have people looking at the big picture then you're gonna see a lot of people fall in the cracks let's say So I guess jumping off of that, what is there a specific like goal or charity that you would walk a hundred miles going? Yeah. So I guess the first time I asked it, we didn't really get around to yeah. it. But uh it's uh I don't know if I can name a specific charity um that I'd like to help, but um the goal I think from we're talking about like upbringing like influence the influence of our upbringing um our grandmother uh maurice's mother was yeah also lisbeth's mother um was you know just couldn't stand injustice and i think that that always was what makes me yeah, it drives me the most sort of I also I get very strong reactions to that as compared to I don't know other other things and yeah it makes me uh, more emotional quickly for example so I guess it would be something to do with that with maybe fighting one of the the isms in the world discrimination um whether that's racism, sexism, or something else, but right. I think that's probably what I would go for. What about you, Noah? Um, I think those are, those are certainly um, the goals that I agree with a lot. I think it's one of, you know, I, I don't think I'm someone who gets um, angry at things very easily. Um, I think I am someone and probably I pride myself in being someone with a, a relatively calm demeanor, but uh, I, I think certainly when it comes to uh, certain justices, particularly around and racism and uh, sexism, uh, like that's one of the few things that can set me off. <laughs> um, but for the, for the purpose of being different and also to, to jump off a bit about impact in the world, 
Um, like my path has been a little bit different. And I think a lot of my work has come from this idea of wanting to make the world a, a better place and using what I'm good at in order to do that. And for me, that is often comes down to stories and art and, um, you know, culture uh, for a, to, to say it at a sort of broad level. It's one of the reasons why I am doing the job that I am currently is even though it's not my favorite work in the world, I really and really support what it ultimately ends up um, facilitating is, you know, helping other students and other people pursue their creative goals. And um, I think it's a very important thing for someone to be able to do that, to, you know, not just survive and live and, you know, get through the, the, the day, which I think is important, but to also make life worth living um, ultimately. And I think that we can learn a lot from stories, not just we can enjoy them and, you know, in that, in that sense, but we can also learn a lot from other people through stories. Um, and I think that's a very important thing to do. So, um, yeah, I think that that's a goal that I would go to is, it's it's often difficult in so many places to pursue, um, I suppose, careers in art because, well, for the most obvious, there's usually no funding for it. <laughs> it's not that easy yeah. for most people to 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 make something creative their job, even when they want to, because there's just no support system to, you know, make that a living. Um, so I think that that's something that I would certainly walk 100 miles for. Very cool. I think, um, yeah, like what you said about wanting to help people is, is really big or supporting people to do good themselves. I think, I don't know, like having ambition yourself is often good or is good, but also recognizing at a certain point that maybe someone, someone can do it better than you. And then it might be worthwhile to help them reach their goals instead of you pursuing your own. And that's maybe a tough realization to make being like, well, I'm not the, or I'm not going to become a professional football player anymore, but uh, maybe by shifting to coaching, I can help others who have more potential to reach that reach their potential. Um, yeah. Right. And I think even without that, it's always balanced, right? You can pursue your own thing, but I still think that even when you're pursuing your own thing, 100%, you should still always make room <laughs> to support others. Yeah. Don't, you don't need to step on others to right. get to higher places. Let's say. All right, Matisse. What about you? Yeah. I guess my goal for charity would kind of differs greatly, I think, from or, or goes a very different direction from what both of you mentioned. Um, I think something that's kind of been on my mind a lot in the past year, especially, um, or two years even, 
um, is kind of sustainability and uh, kind of uh, climate restoration. Um, and I think it's, it's partly because uh, since my move to Amsterdam, I have you know, quite a few friends who are studying something related to sustainability or, for example, environmental economics. And through them, I've become kind of very aware of it, but also kind of with through conversations I've had with Papa. Um, and, um, you know, some of the work, you know, he also, I think, keeps it in mind when he's doing his work. And um, so I'd probably choose something related to that. And I can, I think it's such a huge goal that we kind of, as humanity, need to kind of um, focus on and put our efforts towards it. And I think it comes back to kind of something I said earlier that um, it is kind of those small changes can make a difference. I earlier said it like small changes to, you know, try and improve people's lives, but also in this case, small changes um, will eventually make a difference if, you know, everyone tries to use less plastic, for example, um, or, you know, tries to just reduce their carbon footprints, that'll have a big impact. Um, and it's something I've um, tried to incorporate into my life. I have started eating uh, vegetarian a lot more often. Um, for a while, I was completely vegetarian. Um, and I'm also, uh, I try not to fly as much as I can. Um, if I, for example, have, like, I'm going on a trip with friends, I'll instead try and uh, go with a train or with a bus. Um, and uh, I think I've just become a lot more aware of this issue in the past two years. Um, and so that's probably what I would choose. Yeah, that's a really good one, I think. I think uh, Emma and I, so Emma, for context, my girlfriend, and I are uh, going to the UK in a few months for a wedding. And we decided to go by train as well uh, for that exact reason. Like, um, But yeah, I think what Noah said about supporting people who don't have the opportunity to pursue arts, I think the same thing goes for a lot of sustainable options now. I think many, at least here in the Netherlands, what we see is that um, going for the sustainable route is a bit more expensive. Like, yeah. you know, um, meat is relatively cheap compared to, let's say, vegetarian substitutes. Also, flying is very cheap compared to taking the train. Um, yeah, we were quite lucky in the sense because we booked like really far in advance. So the train tickets were still um, affordable. But uh, yeah, other friends looked a couple of weeks later and, you know, prices are only double or triple what it would be to fly. Um, as long as that kind of thing continues to be the case, you're going to make it very difficult for people to make the more sustainable choice because then you're relying on people doing it out of you know, sort of uh, out of principle purely. And um, a lot of people don't have that luxury. You know, they only have so much money to spend and they're 
going to do things the way that they can afford to. And if that's the way that's worse for the environment, then that's what they're going to do, which is a shame because, yeah, like you said, it is a global problem and we all need to contribute to it in some way. I was wondering, because your upbringing is quite different from mine and Noah's because you were well, effectively an only child for the better part of a decade. Um, yeah. You get any particular, I mean, I know Noah and I like to make jokes about it, uh, how that it might've affected you, but, uh, but to keep it on a more serious note, like, do you think that, well, how was that changed? Are there changes you've seen in Maurice specifically um, that you want to highlight or that you think are interesting to mention now? Um, I mean, I think uh, something that kind of Maurice always does well is he's he always kind of um, stays on top of what is, you know, currently, you know, a major issue in the world. It's kind of part of his job. But um, as he kind of said to us uh, as well um, during, you know, dinner last Christmas is that, uh, you know, his job is also his hobby. And I think what I've kind of seen, um, throughout you know when i was just there at home with uh our parents was that he he always kind of tries to do everything um but he's also just kind of all constantly jumping from from one thing to the next whatever kind of requires his attention um and but even through all that i think he's he's kind of stayed the same um as he's always been kind of always caring for others, trying to do as much as he can for everyone. Um, and I don't think that's something that's, that is going to change. Um, no, but I think with regards to sort of sustainability and the environment, that's definitely something that's, um, yeah, we've seen sort of become more and more important to him uh, over the years which I think is interesting because they often mention or you often read in the news about um, or the youngest generation or the younger generation. I'm talking about sort of yours and younger, Matisse, um, of the, well, uh, what's the word? That it's such a big problem that you don't know where to begin, sort of like much more um why can't i think of the word now well what is <laughs> anyway um compared to generations i think maurice is pretty unique in that fact um people from his sort of the older generation people who are getting a little bit up there in age um maybe tend to think more in the sense of well soon it won't be my problem anymore um and 
yeah, I think that's maybe a, even my generation, I think is much generally a bit less aware of things than I'd say yours. Um, would you, do you view it that way as well or yeah, existential um, crisis? That's what I was looking for. That's the word I was looking for. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's kind of what I was, was trying to say that I think Maurice is very aware of that kind of normality that, you know, older generations are, can kind of be out of touch with uh, what issues are, are in the world today. And I think he is kind of very aware of that. And so uh, I have kind of seen changes, especially with kind of regards to sustainability and that he's um, very aware of that and tries to um, kind of change his own, you know, behavior, I guess, to, to be as sustainable as possible. Um, I mean, uh, you know, our parents do still fly to the Netherlands, but there's not really a way around that. But I think just in their daily lives, they, they do really kind of make an effort, uh, for those kind of smaller, uh, gestures to be more sustainable, um, I think they, they do, for example, uh, actually don't know if their, their new house has it, but, uh, in our last house, you know, it had solar panels, um, and now for their garden lights, they also choose to have, you know, solar paneled, uh, lights there. So I think they, they, and especially when choosing a car, um, they always try and choose the most sustainable option, um. So I think our parents and especially uh, Maurice is, is, is very aware of that and has become more aware of it as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. It's, um, it's easy to look at a problem that's of that magnitude that's so big that you're like, well, to, to get that sort of existential crisis of well what can i do i'm just a little old me um but uh i think you hit the nail on the head doing our part uh small or large in the end uh we need everyone on board and that's well gonna be con continues to be a struggle but hopefully sooner rather than later we start making steps in the right direction i think that's that's one area where I disagree with Maurice is uh, this is also something we talked over Christmas is that he has a, a very, in my view, a bit more pessimistic view of the future and the problem in that sense. Whereas I try to see things in a more positive light where um, I think in pretty much every facet of uh, life, is better than that it was um like sure there seems to be more uh sort of extreme views people standing at the opposite sides of a problem and um well social media is a topic i can talk about for probably another hour or two and the influence uh that but in general i think that 
there's no other time I would like to live in than today. You know, like there's no such thing as the good old days, um, in my opinion. Right. I think that uh, jumping out this, you make a very good point, and it's also one that I, I sort of I guess fall between <laughs> you and Maurice in terms of like how to view these issues in, in terms just in, in terms of like a sort of positive or negative scope. I do find myself. I often catch myself being quite pessimistic about things, but trying to be optimistic about them. If that's because I think if we're we can't be optimistic, then it's much harder to solve the issue, particularly because of of what you say. Right? Is there a number of the things we're talking about? Um, you know, environmentalism, uh, racism, access and support to doing what you want, living how you want, um, are massive problems that are rooted in deeply into large, you know, systems that sort of our society has reinforced in many ways. Um, like a lot of the, like the vast majority really of the environmental impact we have come from you know, these major corporations that are designed yeah. to make profit. And that's not such an easy thing to tackle on an individual basis. But if you look at it very pessimistically, it's never going to be tackled. Um, so I, I do think that we have to look at it in a positive or at least in an optimistic way of these things can be changed. We need to think about how we change our approach to things and ultimately you know, even the biggest corporations are run by individuals. So if we can change them, we can yeah. change I think ultimately I, larger systems. Um, I left the bank I was working at largely because I didn't want to support that bank anymore as a company. Um, but I did have an interesting conversation with one of my old colleagues before I left was that they were choosing to stay because... I thought, well, if I'm not working here, then there's <laughs> like, we need people to change these companies from the inside as well. So you need people to sort of do this work to try and affect that change and to make one of these uh, quote unquote evil corporations <laughs> um, better, you know, like uh, that's like you said, there are also just people and uh, that needs to be done. Um but it reminds me a bit of a, an, an interesting presentation I saw as well about people working in uh, or at NGOs and in the development sector in general that uh, they become very cynical and burnt and get burnt out because of that because they are for years working on these projects and um, don't feel like any real change is happening because <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, the problem still exists. And that gives them this sort of feeling of hopelessness. I think that ultimately comes down to a question of, I don't want to bring it too much, I need to go into psychology. The things we're discussing have so many different complex facets to it. Um, but I do think a lot of, at least in my um, view of things, I try to keep myself very informed about kind of everything that's going on and that can make me a bit cynical and pessimistic but 
I think to help combat that, I try to look at it from a million different angles and look at a lot of other things too, right? It's easy to, you know, read the New York Times and see the, the you know, the front page be 40 articles about the war in um, Israel and, you know, have a very negative um, sort of impact on how you view the world because of that. Because that's kind of what the news looks like every day. So that's what you're exposed to. Whereas if you want to look at more optimistic stories, particularly things like, you know, organizations that are, you know, innovating science in ways that help people. Like there was, there was um, something I read about recently that um, I want to say it was in... Rwanda, where there's a company, you know, using drones in a relatively sustainable way to get medical supplies to hospitals all around the country way faster than it used to be capable. Um, and it's a relatively small project, but it's having, you know, very su substantial impact. Um, and things like that are happening all the time all over the world. Um, so, you know, it is, it is very much a perception thing and an exposure thing. And so it doesn't surprise me that people that work for NGOs, if so much of their life is constantly being surrounded by, look, we're trying so hard, but it, what I'm seeing on a daily basis um, is, you know, still very negative. It can, I think, have have an influence that even when you're improving things, you're not improving things as as much as you might like, or um, the outcome is occurring as quickly as you would like. Uh, you know, it's it's something that we have to deal with. I think on a on a very sort of personal, thoughtful level as well. Yeah, and I think certainly like the age that we live in of smartphones and. Uh, sort of getting clicks, you know, sensationalist news or bad news tends to garner more than good news a lot of the time. Um, and that's, yeah, a bit of a shame, I think. But, well, overall, I would say that Still, I have a pretty optimistic view of the world. I think that, uh, yeah, there are times, of course, when that's challenged a little bit. Um, when certain things happen the way that they have or in a way that you wouldn't want them to, but that's also part of life, I guess. And, um, but I think you need both, you know, like if there's, if there aren't people like Maurice who, view the world a bit more uh well compared to me a bit more pessimistically then maybe there's also you're then you lack the urgency if whereas if you only have people who view it pessimistically then yeah you might never get anything done because then you get this feeling of hopelessness so definitely a balance between the two is probably required i think only optimistic people don't get anything done probably so I think we could 
talk about these things and these issues for hours and hours and hours on end. Um, but we'll keep that to potential future episodes or other things. Uh, so as sort of a closing, what uh, Maurice always likes to do is he asks each of his guests for a piece of music that embodies who they are and um, to yeah, give a song, basically, that they can add to a lovely podcast you can find on Spotify. Um, so my question to both of you, and I will think about the answer myself as well, um, what piece of music best embodies who you are? I mean, I, I think I can give uh, my answer. Um, I think I've had this question for a few times in different contexts, and I think I always kind of give a different answer because um, I think I'm also kind of constantly changing. And so um, I think the answer I would give now is uh, Life is a Highway by the Rascal Flat. Um, okay. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's not just because um, it's such an iconic song from uh, the Pixar movie Cars, uh, which was you know my favorite movie growing up, and uh, I watched it again recently. Um, but I think it's also just a good kind of uh, metaphor for life and and how I try to live life. Um, I think the song kind of you know talks about how there's always kind of twists and turns in life and uh, there's ups and downs. Um, but that ultimately you kind of have to keep moving forward. Um, and, and I think that's, that's kind of how I look at life. Um, and so I'd say, yeah, life is a highway. All right. I like that answer. And Noah, what about you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've obviously talked to Morris about, well, more frequently about different things because, you know, he's my dad. But uh, <laughs> um, I remember last time you, you brought this up, this question, like I didn't, didn't really have an answer. Um, and for the reasons I think Matisse just outlined is, you know, we're constantly changing. And like, but, but even that, like, I think throughout a day, I'll have 40 different songs that I think might define me, right? Um, so as as we were talking, I was also just scrolling through my liked songs here on on, on the right, and I I think I'm just sort of come to the conclusion that um, there's a lot I can answer, but I wanted to go with something that was sort of more constantly true throughout my life, which is um, "Night" by Ludovico Einaudi, which is a song without lyrics. <laughs> Um, but, um, and particularly because of that, it can be interpreted and, and sort of felt and however way you kind of want, I mean, it certainly evokes certain emotions and, and has a certain tone to it. But for me personally, I think it always resonates with me kind of no matter what mood I'm in, um, because it. Yeah, I think I've always sort of been a night owl and um, 
find I feel most myself often um, at night. And so the, the title sticks with me. But, you know, I can be feeling very happy and listening to the song. I can be feeling very sad to listen to the song. And I always feel like I can draw something else new from it every time I listen to it and um, use it as both a point of reflection and enjoyment at the same time. And I think in, in many of those ways, <laughs> uh, that is, I think, kind of an embodiment of, of who I am, but also of how I see people is we can always sort of look like the same thing from the outside or sound the same or, or whatever it is, but that doesn't necessarily mean we are the same. Uh, we are changed by context, by, by how we interpret things, uh, by so many different things. Uh, so, yeah. Very nice. I'm always impressed with how you can take one word, night, and write a whole essay about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, jokes aside, um, that was a little... Um, yeah, so for me, it's similar as well. Like I wouldn't say 40 in a different day or... <laughs> but certainly different times of my life have seen different things and even my views on life have changed over the years. Um, and, and will continue to, of course. Um, but one thing that, well, to bring back to the theme of Maurice a little bit, um, one thing that is always nice is to be home. And even though that's not a physical location, um, although I guess it is now <laughs> that they've bought a house, but generally um, that feeling of home comes wherever uh, we're all together and it doesn't really matter if that's in the US, in the Netherlands, in Indonesia or wherever else it may be. Um, so the song that embodies that feeling is titled Good to be Home uh, by Barney Artist featuring a number of other people. Um, yeah. Well, um, are there any last thoughts that people have um, before we shut this down? Uh, I suppose at some point we should say happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's certainly that's certainly a good note to end on. So, um, happy birthday, Papa. Um, Getting up there, but not quite as old as your partner, thankfully. Um, which you can continue to hold on to. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode, both the uh, other listeners, but especially Maurice himself. Um, yeah, we wish you a very happy birthday, and thanks for listening, I guess. I feel like we can end it better than that. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org.
or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.